And hello, everyone. Welcome to the weekly Yes And podcast. I'm your host, Travis Thomas, the creator of Live Yes And and the host of the weekly Yes And podcast. And today's podcast is another in our entrepreneur series here on the Weekly Yap, where I've been interviewing for the last few months different entrepreneurs all over the world, talking about how they do what they do, the why they do what they do, and uh, how they overcome the challenges, the adversity, and all the obstacles that come along the way. And today's guest is no different. Her name is Anna Wren. She is the creator of Elite Advantage Prep. You can check her out at EliteAdvantagePrep.com. And Anna's story, like so many of the others, uh, is inspiring. Uh, She was a high performer uh, in school, went to college, got a great degree, uh, uh, followed her passion and dreams, and uh, ended up working in, uh, in fashion. Um, but uh, uh, was working hard, was being stretched, uh, started dealing with uh, depression. She was in a bad car accident. And when things kind of felt uh, completely upside down, uh, she went back to sort of her faith and her purpose, which led her to moving back home. And uh, more importantly, it led her to following her heart and her passion with the kind of work that she does. And again, she found herself uh, always helping people uh, in her work, and so that is what she is committed to doing today. Uh, so uh, she works, again, she created Elite Advantage Prep, uh, and it helps uh, affordable online college planning uh, for students who are looking to go to college at the next level, especially if they don't necessarily have the financial support or the, the know-how of how to do that, maybe they're first in their family, uh, and as services helps them navigate that. So without further ado, let's jump into this podcast. And this is all about embracing your failures and how Anna embraced failure to launch her passion. So please welcome to the Weekly Yap, Anna Wren. And please welcome to the Yes And podcast, Anna Wren. Anna, how are you doing today? Thank you so much, Travis. I'm doing great. How are you? Uh, Doing well, Anna. I know we're down here in South Florida. You're up in New Jersey, I believe. Is that correct? Yes, that is correct. All right. And hopefully uh, colors changing a little bit, uh, moving into fall. Absolutely. Um, I was just commenting with my husband today how uh, the leaves are already starting to fall. So it looks kind of like an early fall season this year. Yes. So it's the beauty before the storm. <laughs> Absolutely. Then we live in winter for quite a few months, and then we envy you uh, in Florida. <laughs> yes. Well, you know, I'm a Florida transplant, so I'm Florida by choice because because of that very fact. So uh, um, I, I know what you're going through, but I do miss my fall. I miss my fall for sure. Well, Anna, thanks so much for for joining the Weekly Yap. Uh, and you are the uh, the creator, the founder of Elite Advantage Prep. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that for our listeners, and more importantly, why in the heck you decided to start it? <laughs> that sounds great. Thank you so much. So I founded Elite Advantage Prep because um, I really found a passion for working with high school students and helping them with the college admissions process. So I'm a college admissions consultant, or sometimes we're called independent educational consultants. And we do help families and their students through the often stressful time of applying for college. And I do everything from helping them pick schools um, to working on their essays to preparing for interviews and kind of coaching them through. So we're like a almost like a college admissions coach, if you will. 
Um, and I kind of got into it because I myself uh, was the first person to go to college. And my parents were immigrants, and they had only made it as far as elementary school for my father and middle school for my mother. And they really valued a college education, um, but at the same time, when it came time to apply for college, they couldn't really help us. So I was kind of on my own trying to figure it out. And, you know, I don't regret any of it. Um, I absolutely love where I went to college and I'm so proud of it. Uh, but I wish there were definitely things I wish I'd known then that I know now. Yeah, right. And so so you end up going to college. And uh, but the, the college admissions world, that wasn't sort of your your first passion, was it? Where, what, what, what were you interested in uh, coming out of college? Um, so coming out of college, uh, my first job was actually in fashion merchandising. Okay. And I worked for a very popular brand at the time, Abercrombie & Fitch, um, in their corporate office in Ohio. And it was absolutely the most challenging job I've had, um, although now I would say being an entrepreneur is very challenging. Um, but it's very similar. You kind of run your own business, and they say, hey, here's like X million dollars. This is your product line go grow it. Um, but I learned so much about myself during that time because when I first signed on, you know, I moved out there with no friends, no family, no support network. And it was really hard in the beginning. I really wanted to just pack up and go home. Um, <laughs> uh, but you can't really do that, especially if you're like, um, from an Asian family, <laughs> you know, you kind of got to go out there and we have certain work ethics. And so I just had to make do the best I could. And, you know, when you kind of grow up and, you know, I, I wasn't always good in school that kind of came with a lot of hard work. So I have a younger brother. We're only 15 months apart. Um, and we would end up sometimes in the same classes in high school. And I would just get so frustrated because he might take an hour and a half to do his homework and it would take me like three hours. Um, but we'd still end up getting the same grade. So I always knew that I had to work a little harder, needed maybe a little more time. Um, and so even though it was discouraging at first to learn retail fashion, cause I'd never done anything like that before. Um, when I finally picked it up, I was like, wow, I can do this. You know, you really, you know, you're gonna fail in the beginning and it's so humbling. And I had kind of forgotten that feeling, um, <laughs> And it was like, ooh, let me crash a few times and just, you know, make a lot of mistakes. Um, and they had a motto at the company, and it was just like, get really comfortable with saying, I messed up. Um, and then just tell us what you're going to do about it and move on. And that's one of the most valuable lessons I had while working there was that, you know, own your mistakes, right? Yeah. Um, it's okay to mess up. It's okay to fail, you know, but you just got to pick yourself up and move on from that. So that's where I kind of first started. And I, I did a few years in fashion for them and for a few other companies before coming back. And so, well, so that, that culture there, and that was that while you were at Abercrombie & Fitch? Yes. So the culture there was, that, that's fantastic. So in, embracing embracing mistakes, embracing failures, but from the standpoint of, of growing and learning compared to trying to uh, trying to hide them and creating bigger problems. Absolutely. And I think, you know, they really emphasize accountability. Um, and no one would give you like an exceptionally hard time, right? You'd say you messed up, you tell them what your plans were to move forward or, you know, how you could try and, you know, fix the situation if possible. 
and that's it. And it was done. It wasn't like anyone was going to make you feel guilty about it or anything like that. Well, that's great. Great. Well, that, that sounds a lot like the, the Church of Fail that Matt Matheson uh, has been on here speaking about in the past. So that's fantastic. So you're in Ohio. You're in a, a highly competitive sort of fashion industry. Uh, that's probably quite a culture shock going from, you know, uh, New York, New Jersey into Ohio. No offense to my Ohio brethren. I'm a Michiganer. Um, but uh, that's that's a little bit of a shock coming right out of school and going into that industry. What did you... What was most difficult, and, and what did you learn most about yourself during that time? Um, so I love Ohio, actually, um, except for the really cold weather. So I did <laughs> grow to love how hospitable they are and friendly in Ohio. Um, but it was challenging, and um, working 70 hours a week at the time um, and everything, I ended up actually with depression while I was out there. And um, I hung out until the end of my contract and then a few months after. Um, But I think one of the most valuable lessons is knowing when to walk away and put your health first. And I knew, like, part of me feared, like, oh, if I go home, I'm going to be a failure. And, you know, um, people have expectations. And I'm so it was like 2010 at the time. So it was like the recession, too. Yeah. And it seems so silly to walk away from a decent paying job during the recession as well. Um, but I knew I needed a break. And when the option was either antidepressants um, or, you know, maybe just leaving and quitting, I just chose to quit. And I think that has been one of the most challenging things I've done. And I was definitely scared doing it. But it's one of the things that I'm most proud of. Um, and the other thing I would say about that is, you know, don't be afraid to start over, you know, um, because it's okay. (laughs) There's always going to be other opportunities. Right. Um, and one of the other great things I found while I was there was actually my faith. Um, so I had lost my faith for a bit, um, in college and I found this amazing church there. And I think with that, I just knew, okay, it's, it's time to go. And, this isn't, this isn't for me. And when I think you have a hard time looking at yourself in the mirror, then you know something's wrong. And sure. I wasn't really happy with the person I was becoming um, as part of working in that industry, um, which, you know, includes like nickel and diming factory workers who already work a lot um, and they don't make a lot of money. Um, and then I knew, it was, okay, it's time to go and there's got to be something else. Okay, and so, um, so you said that you were uh, you were diagnosed with depression during that time. When you look back, sort of on 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 that period, on that depression, um, what what do you think was sort of at the at, at the root of that? You talked a little bit about you know sort of losing your faith there for a while and, and being in an industry that you didn't feel great about. Was that all part of it, or or was there something more to it than that? I think that was all part of it. And um, being someone that had grown up with a lot of faith, it was really important to me. And I felt like I was moving further away um, from the kind of person God wanted me to be. And I wasn't living a purposeful life. Um, And, you know, for someone who wants to leave a lasting impact in a really great way, I didn't feel like that was the place to do it. Um, and a part of it was also just because I was by myself too. And, you know, when you work 70 hours a week, you find that when you're not working, you just get home, you're eating and then going to bed. (laughs) 
Um, And there's so much more to life than just working and eating and going to bed. So what was uh, sort of the turning point for you? uh, and, And what was the... Uh, the inspiration or the motivation um, that that helps sort of turn things around for you? Um, I think it was two things. One was definitely the doctor was like, okay, you know, she saw my hands trembling when I put them out involuntarily. Like I was like a, um, like I was a recovering drug addict. And Mm. I was like, well, that's not good. And she's like, oh, I can put you on drugs. And I was like, Oh, that's not good. And um, the other piece was I was just at work one day and I was like, you know, I don't feel good here. You know, I don't have time to um, even like during the daytime, I didn't even have time to eat or drink. And I was like, I think I'd lost um, a lot of weight. So I was like under 100 pounds at that point. And I was like, you know, I I, I think this is it. I think I'm done. (laughs) It's time to go home. And, you know, I honestly feel like... um, Going home sometimes kind of is a nice reset, and it's never, it's never too late to go home and do that. Now you talked about uh, you talked about purpose, about uh, doing work or, or living a life that, that that God would want you to to do. When you think about purpose for yourself, um, what does what does your purpose look like? I honestly believe it means um, leaving this world better than we found it. Um, and I know it sounds so cliche, but I told my husband, I was like, I, I don't, I was like, when I first met him, I was like, I'm going to tell you right now, if I make a lot of money or if we make a lot of money, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to take that money and I'm going to go buy a lot of trees (laughs) or I'm going to go donate it. And I need you to be okay with that. I need you to be okay with us not spending the money on materialistic things, but really on things that, um, make a difference in someone else's life. So even like for our anniversaries, we feel like we are blessed. Um, we're not wealthy by any means, but we're blessed with we have our needs covered, right? So we'll like find different organizations and we'll make a donation. So I remember one of our favorites was to Hyper International. And we bought, um, I think we bought a sheep or a goat, actually. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and... I was like, you know, someone's going to be able to get like a source of food from this. They're going to also be able to, you know, stay warm. Maybe they can like make something with a wool. I was like, it's going to mean something much more to someone um, for us to spend our money there. Um, So that's kind of also why I do what I do, because, you know, I think young people, they are our future. Right. And you think about celebrities in the media And you think about who we idolize, and I'm like, gosh, if I were a celebrity, I would be totally sending different messages. Um, And while, you know, I'm not a celebrity and I can't reach as many people, the people that I do have the opportunity to reach, you know, it's amazing because they are impressionable and you can encourage them and challenge them to be more, right? And, you know, in a day and age where media and everything is so focused on materialistic I guess, aspects, um, it's good to challenge them to think beyond that, to think beyond themselves and think of others. Um, so I was like, you know what? I think this is much more in line with what I think is a purposeful life. And so you, you decide to come home from Ohio. And so what did that path look like? A, what was that like when you, when you finally decided to come home and, and, and sort of what were the steps that led you to this sort of this new position? Oh, well, first of all, that drive was rough. Um, I drove all by myself back from Ohio to New Jersey. 
Um, but you know, when I first got back, I couldn't find work and, um, I ended up waitressing, which I think there is no shame in that. I did it throughout high school to, um, help make money. Um, and you know, I, it felt weird because I felt like part of you feels like, okay, I went and I got such a great college education and here I am being a waitress. Um, but at the same time, it was again, so humbling Um, I learned to manage my money better as well, because when you work in fashion, you end up trying to keep up with the Joneses and spending all your money. Um, And at the same time, I was an admissions interviewer for my alma mater. And that was when I really started working with students and learning more about them. And I just felt so inspired um, and so passionate. And I was like, you know what? Let me look into this. How can I do this full time? Um, so eventually I did find work. Um, I went into corporate marketing, which my background is actually in marketing even before fashion. And while I enjoyed it very much and it was challenging and, you know, um, it was nice to have that stability and security that comes with a paycheck. I still felt something was missing. Um, so then a few years ago, about two years ago, after my car accident, I decided to cut it all out, cut it all loose and just take a chance. And like you say, just live yes, instead of thinking how, or, you know, should I be doing this? You just, you just have to take the plunge. And, uh, that's exactly what I did. And I haven't gone back and I'm so blessed because my husband supports me and we honestly believe, you know, if we can help others, then that's, that's great. You know, and it's, it makes me really happy. And he's like, as long as you're happy, we're good. Well, it sounds like you are happy right now. And now you just you just referenced um, uh, this car accident. Was there uh, was was there was there something with that car accident that that was sort of um, uh, transformational for you? Absolutely. So it was a um, you know Jersey. It snows, <laughs> and um, I ended up in an unfortunate situation where I was playing ping pong between a salt truck and a median uh, on the highway. And so I ended up with uh, C-spine injuries, um, also lower spine injuries, and then uh, a knee injury. And when you're 27 um, and you think about like, wow, I have my whole life ahead of me and I'm kind of limited, um, it really kind of shocks you. And I remember being in the ER and they were saying how, because I couldn't, I couldn't even hold a cup or squeeze toothpaste Mm. um, after the car accident. And then I was like, oh, maybe we do need to get this checked out. And um, I just remember them saying like, oh, your disc is herniated. It's on your nerve. So that's why you can't really, um, you're not as strong and you can't do that. So they're like, oh, you know, but there's surgery. We can always, you know, cut open your neck and (laughs) take out your discs and put some metal plates (laughs) in. And I'm looking at my husband. I'm like, no, I don't need my hand. Um, you know, I'd rather not be able to use my hand than have them cut open my neck. So, um, and part of that is because I'm, um, I, uh, I enjoy using my voice and I didn't know what would happen if they did that. As you can see, I love to talk, um, but <laughs> it ended up being, so I didn't, they were able to get it controlled with steroids. I didn't need surgery for my knee which took a while to recover. And I think through all of that and seeing how kind of uh, corporate America reacted to that in that situation, I just realized, you know, I want to be around people that are more compassionate 
Um, I want to live life on my terms and, you know, kind of that whole idea, life's too short to not be doing what you love. Yeah. Yeah. And now talk a little bit about it. Cause you, you mentioned your, your parents, uh, your parents were immigrants and, and so growing up, you know, you're sort of the, everything that you do beyond middle school, you're the pioneer, right? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and so what, um, what was that? What was the, um, what was your parental sort of influence like, uh, growing up? Was, was there a sense of pressure of, you know, really needing to sort of excel? Uh, what, what kind of impact that ha- did, uh, that have on you? I think there was always, um, an unspoken, uh, expectation that you always do your best, um, and that you have to work hard. Um, and I think my parents like kind of knew between my brother and I, he might've been the smarter one. Um, so they kind of had, um, I don't know if it's fewer expectations or they were trying to level set them. So it was never this expectation that I would end up doing the things I did. So I ended up graduating first in my class, going to a really great university. And I remember at the time, even when I was applying for college, my dad was like, well, why bother applying there? You're not going to get in. And it's kind of hard to hear that as a kid. Um, But if you think about kind of like that tiger mother kind of thing, that tough love, that's exactly what it is. And so obviously, you know, when I did get in, you know, it wasn't that he didn't really think I would get in, but he didn't want me to be disappointed. Um, And he also kind of expected the inner rebel to come out and he knew I would just do it anyway. So it was really interesting in that regard, just because my parents have worked really hard. And, you know, my mom was a nanny. My dad is a retired chef. um, And they just wanted more for us. Um, So very much that American dream. Um, So I kind of set the standard, and then it was up to my brother (laughs) to try and follow or exceed that. Um, So I actually feel bad for him. He probably had more pressure than I did. (laughs) (laughs) Well, how's he doing nowadays? He's doing really well. Um, he went to a really great college as well, um, and he now works in finance and is doing exceptionally well for someone his age. Um, um, and, and now he said he's actually going to work on the personal aspect of his life as well. So he's been so focused on career stuff, um, yeah. but now he's kind of trying to balance it out. Well, it sounds like that, that's an area you may be able to help him with. Yes. He's like, you know, uh, I was like, he was telling me how he was doing. Um, cause you know, in finance they get bonuses and stuff like that. And I was like, wow. I was like, I wish I was that far financially in my life. And he said, well, I wish I was as far along as you are in your personal life. So yeah. I thought it was interesting. That's a, that's a nice compliment. It is. And, uh, you were, you were mentioning, you know, your parents wanting, you know, wanting to see the American dream, uh, for their children. And so now you are in a position, you have a company that in a lot of ways is, is helping sort of the next generation with their concept of the American dream. And so sitting in sort of the, the seat that you sit in, um, what are some of the what are some of the ways with your work that uh, that you try to sort of use your own experience to to help people that are going through or help young people who are going through this college in sort of uh, admissions process? So I think it always helps to know that you know I've gone through it too, so I know exactly what they're going through, um, and we try to level set expectations and you know set realistic expectations and um, and I'm an advocate for them. Um, so when mom and dad are like, oh, it has to be a top 20 or 30 school. And I'm like, the truth is 
you don't want to put them somewhere where they're not going to succeed, right? You want your child to be happy too. Um, so I'm always often their advocate and I'm like, you know, I, I think they might be better here. Um, but at the same time for students that don't believe in themselves, and I think it does happen with first generation students a lot, um, because they don't know kind of how good they are sometimes. Um, it's challenging them to kind of go outside of their comfort zone and try for better. Um, even when they don't think that they're capable of better themselves. Um, so one of my students, um, she had a, a visual impairment. And at the time, we were trying to talk about, well, how do we pick schools? And she was just amazing. She had done great scores. And even when I was on my honeymoon in New Zealand, she sent me a message. And the, the subject line had, like, uh, swear words in it. And I was like, oh, no, what happened? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, oh, this is not good. And, you know, just because that's all I can see from my, my phone in New Zealand. Um, and, you know, most people, they know I'm on my honeymoon. <laughs> but then I opened it and she'd screenshotted her standardized test scores. And she'd gotten almost um, full scores on every subject. And I was like, wow. And I talked to I told my husband, my husband was like, you know, you didn't even do that well. And you're not visually impaired. <laughs> and I was like, I know. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, honey. I know, right? And I was like, but I, I think that's just a testament just to how hard she worked. And so when we ended up picking out some schools, I was like, well, let's throw in some, you know, Ivies if you're interested. And um, she was, and her family was kind of worried at the time. And, um, and I, I think it, again, comes from that I don't want my child to be disappointed. Sure. Um, so that's why I think sometimes parents also hold back. And, um, but you know what? She got in, she's there now. Uh, so, so it all worked out, but you know, I think it's pushing them and oftentimes they second guess themselves and they're like, Hey, Anna, I wrote this essay at like 2 AM. I know it sucks and I'll read it. And I'm like, what are you talking about? This is perfect. Yeah. This is exactly what we're looking for. Um, so sometimes it's just helping to validate that for them. Yeah. And obviously purpose, this sense of purpose is so important to you. Uh, how often does that come up when you're working with these students? It comes up quite a bit, actually. And um, I've been so fortunate because I meet a lot of students and they really are passionate about service. And I don't know if it's that like-minded people also attract each other, um, but I know a lot of them are involved in volunteer activities and really do have grand ambitions uh, on how to help society. So even like um, I'll have students that major in economics and, you know, like a lot of them could say like, oh, I want to go into finance or something like that where you can make a lot of money. Um, but I remember my one student, she was like, I want to focus on economic policy and I want to understand how we can advocate for more laws or policies where it makes it more fair amongst the different classes um, in terms of, because she came from a very nice background, but she had ended up volunteering in, um, and I don't know how familiar you are with New Jersey, but in Camden. Okay, yeah. And it's not such a nice area. And she's like, you know, Anna, um, I don't know why we worry so much about how high our taxes are when, and that our taxes are going somewhere else when these people don't even have shoes. And I was like, wow, that is so deep and so powerful. And there need to be more people like you. And I can't wait to see the things you do when you get out into the world. 
Wow, that's great. That's great. And so I, I, I imagine you're you're sort of bringing a perspective. You're bringing sort of a, a deeper, you know, a deeper mindset sort of to the overall process. You know, and it's not just about you know, it's not just about getting into the school, but like you mentioned, addressing. Uh, addressing the personal needs as well, as far as what is the best fit, and um, you know, just the the overall holistic approach to to the person. Absolutely, because it's more than just the name, right? It's about um, their personal experience too. Because I honestly think that a lot of the learning comes outside of the classroom from the people you meet. And I've been so blessed because I was able to also even study abroad in Australia and um, learn about the different culture there. And I remember when I first got there, I was so frustrated <laughs> because I'm an American and I was, um, I had wanted to go buy something and it was like six o'clock or seven o'clock and everything was pretty much closed. <clears throat> and I was like, why, is, why are stores closed right now? And later on, a student explained to me how they really value their time with family mm-hmm. and their loved ones. And most shops close by five or six so that people can go home and have dinner with them. And I was like, wow, do we have it wrong in the U.S.? <laughs> <laughs> right. Now, uh, anyone listening to, to this podcast, there's a good chance um, uh, they might have kids or will have kids, or we could actually have a student listening to this podcast. Anna. So what is, what is the number one question you want uh, a student to be uh, thinking about um, uh, as you're working with them for the, to, to start off with for, for this process? The first thing I would say is understand why you want to go to college. Uh, you're not going for anyone else. It's not because mom and dad said you should go or there's this expectation from society that you should have to go, Um, but really understanding why you wanna go for you. What are your own personal motivations? Because if you're not clear on that, then it's gonna be very challenging to find a school that's gonna be a good fit for you. Um, But then also for you to even just stay in school if you're not personally motivated. So I think that's one of the most important things that I would challenge them with first. Yeah, really helping them sort of understand their own why, their own motivation. Absolutely. Yeah. And what have you learned most about yourself in in going off on your own and starting this company? Oh, that it's okay to fail (laughs) and um, to take risks every chance you get. Um, I know I had so many ifs and stuff, and my husband just says, just do it. And uh, he really is kind of there to support me in that regard. Um, But also do things on your terms. Um, So, for example, my husband said, if you continue to run your company like this, you're going to be a nonprofit. (laughs) And (laughs) it's hard because I want to balance my my desire to do good and helps many people. Um, But at the same time, he's like, you also are an entrepreneur. You have to make money at the same time. So what we ended up doing to kind of reconcile that is, um, so some people, they'll recommend, oh, you should just charge more money. And then you can also do some pro bono work on the side. Um, But that, to me, didn't quite sit the way I wanted it to. Um, So I kind of ignored that advice. And I don't know if that's good or bad. But um, what I decided to do instead was, you know, I was like, there are other families like mine. 
um, where their parents don't make a lot of money and, you know, um, but they still deserve a chance at mm-hmm. the American dream mm-hmm. or at a college education. So what I did was I ended up creating an online college admissions course, which is called Prep for Success. And it enables me to give all the information that I give to my one-on-one clients, um, but just on demand. And it's not one-on-one, but the same templates and advice and insight. And I can do that affordably, you know, um, so that any family can afford college admissions insight. Because I honestly feel it shouldn't just be for the rich. Right. Um, Everyone should have access to that. And before we we get ahead of ourselves here at the end, uh, what is the best way for people to access you, your tools, any of this? How how should they uh, get this information? Um, So you can check out my company and learn more about me at www.eliteadvantageprep.com. Or if you're interested in the affordable online course, you can go to www prep-for-success.com. All right. And, and social media, are you uh, out there in any way, Anna? Yes. Uh, we are on Facebook and we're also on Twitter. So if you just search for us, Elite Advantage Prep, you'll find us. All right. And I'll make sure I put uh, put some links in the description for this podcast as well, And which I, I think we need to call It's Okay to Fail. The title of this one has to be, <laughs> Anna, It's Okay to Fail. <laughs> I, I feel like you need to embrace it. Uh, my husband said um, there's a Chinese expression that uh, failure is the mother of success. Uh, and, and that was like our direct translation. Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay. And he's like, but the, the, the idea, he said, is like that you must fail before you can even obtain success. Absolutely. So it's just part of that path. Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah, it's, it's obviously the world I work in and, and the training I get to do. It's all about, yeah, that's embracing the failure. The failure is a learning tool and failing forward. And, uh, so I think it's fantastic. Yeah. And, and it's a message that we just can't, you know, reiterate enough, I think, because even, even with me teaching it, I still catch myself, uh, how, how much I try to avoid failure in my own life. <laughs> so <laughs> that's why I improvise because I'm going to fail over and over and over again. And I, I think that's such an amazing skill to have, right? To be able to improvise. I remember I had tried out for the uh, improv comedy club at my school and not by choice. My friend had kind of roped me along <laughs> and I have like anxiety issues. And I was like, Oh my God, I think I'm having a heart attack. Um, but at the same time, it was the first time, you know, you do think on the spot and I had so much fun. And I think it's the idea that, you know, live yes. Right. Instead of overthinking it or anything like that, just, just try it. You know, you don't know what lies ahead. And sometimes it is something so magical. Um, and it's better than you could have even imagined or planned for yourself. Yeah. Yeah, exactly right. Life is the improvisation. Yes. So speaking of which, let's let's uh, let's improvise here. And I'm going to give you kind of like free thought word association. I'll give you a word. And first thing that comes to mind, just okay. it could be a word. It could be a phrase. Any, there's no wrong. And in the spirit of improvisation, there is no wrong answer. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Here we go. First word is Ohio. Blessing. Oh, excellent. All right. Standardized tests. Oh, painful. <laughs> now, now, Anna, I get to see you right now on Skype, but the listeners can't. So uh, I will describe that her, 
her whole face made a painful, excruciating look before she said painful. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, all right. Your next word is success. I would say abundance. And um, not only in terms of money, but like time um, and relationships. Okay. What scares me most is not knowing the right thing to do. <laughs> yeah. That's why we improvise. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Abercrombie and Fitch. Hard, but, but rewarding. Now, I have to ask, at the, the company headquarters, do they have um, uh, men walking around with no shirts on like they do in their stores, Anna? Actually, they do not. Um, <laughs> they all wear clothes, uh, but we all do wear Abercrombie and & Fitch. And I remember going there, it was such a culture shock for me. And even one of the things I learned how to do was how to scooter. I don't know if you've ever... Uh, ridden rode a scooter before uh -huh. um but that's how we get to the buildings quickly yes and um i was so scared at first and i was like i, I can't do this and then they're like anna you have to learn otherwise you'll never make it to meetings in the mailroom on time and i just remember like okay starting out and i'm like really slow and definitely my manager was like laughing at me um but then by the end of it yeah i was like a scooter machine i could like pedal really fast anywhere and it was like awesome they didn't teach you that in college the importance of the scooter right yeah. the most random thing it's those razor scooters that you see like kids do tricks on yeah. and stuff like that and so now i was like telling my husband's like every now and then i just i would love to get a scooter actually yeah 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 that was that was a 400 level class i took in college was scootering yeah actually <laughs> i was, did learn to juggle though <laughs> did you same all right well my my uh you know what uh it was it was a very humbling experience a few years ago going back for about over 10 years at this point when i realized that i was no longer welcome in abercrombie and fitch is when i had our first daughter and uh you would go into the store with a stroller and you could barely get in the store with the stroller and the music was so loud and all the teenagers looked at you like Hey, old man, what are you doing in here? And so that was that was my uh, my last days in Abercrombie, uh, sadly. Oh, I know they've changed a few of the things, though. and the the perfume or um, cologne is definitely overwhelming sometimes as well. But I tell you, there is no place else you will get a better pair of uh, jeans. Nice. All right, Anna. Last word or phrase. Uh, my happy place is. Anywhere with my husband. Oh, wow. There's some big brownie points there, Anna. Uh, he, uh, not purposely either. He, um, I had never wanted to get married, actually. And um, so when he came in, I was like, oh, I don't know about this. I feel like he's going to mess everything up. Um, all my brand <laughs> plans and ambitions, and he's going to suck time. And um, But he has been this constant support, and he just always knows how to say and do the right thing. And um, so, so I do feel so blessed. So wherever we are, we are happy. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, Anna, thanks so much for taking time to appear on the weekly Yes Am podcast. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me, Travis. It's it's truly been an honor and a pleasure. I, I love listening to your podcast. Can't wait to read the rest of your book. Um, and thank you so much again for having me. Well, thank you, Anna. Away my 
shot. I am not throwing away my shot. Hey, yo, I'm just like my country. I'm young, scrappy, and hungry, and I'm not throwing away my shot. 